All right, we've got something a little new this week for you guys here at Pure Speculation. This podcast is going to sound a little bit different than what we've done in the past. It comes from uh, an episode I sat in on for a podcast called A Common Divide. Uh, A couple other individuals on there, aside from myself, it was Zach Clark, Joe Malberg, and we were talking about the openings of daycares versus schools not opening here in the state of Michigan. And we really got into the economics of it all, what this stuff actually costs, the strain that it's going to have on parents, uh, teachers, everybody. We're all going through this constant struggle. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, this episode is perfect for uh, pure speculation and strugglestate.com because we're talking about the same things here. So we decided to release it on this platform as well. So I just kind of wanted to intro this to you guys so that you uh, were aware of what was going on. So we'll hit you with the intro music in a second and be ready for a regular episode of Pure Speculation in your feed next next week. And we'll be back with Phil and Zach in the studio talking about the most interesting articles from around the internet. Enjoy. down in the basement and this is a conversation gentlemen that we've talked about but we've not framed it in this way right we've talked plenty zach and joe about the return to school the plans that that districts are are forced to have that districts do have the demands that the state has for schools to reopen and we've talked about we've documented clearly the process that the romeo community school district has taken to set this up to get to the spot where they feel like they can open and you know the last few weeks we've been talking amongst ourselves about the differences between daycare and school right what is the difference between daycare and school And right now, the main difference is, for better or worse, daycares have remained open since the beginning. Yeah, one can open and one one cannot at this point. Or we're not seeing as many uh, of the public education systems opening up in the districts. And and really, this is kind of like where economics meets education, right? Yeah, I mean, because the thought has been with schools, part of the reason they have to open is because parents need to go to work. And schools provide an affordable childcare option. That's not what school is, but it's what school ends up being in certain applications. Well, I mean, it is what. Well, school it's what is. we've come to expect too. But I mean, well, I mean, when I send my kid to school, I expect enrichment, enjoyment. It's not about hey, watch that kid. It's like hey, teach that kid. So to me, it's more than just childcare. But the application is childcare. And right? they get that. They and they get that with their daycare no, too, because yes. sometimes too, that's the difference between babysitting and daycare. You know what I mean? There's, there's, there's all these different levels of what, um, what we want our kids to receive when we send them to places like that. Um, but you're right. Aside from that initial shutdown where the daycares were closed, only open to essential workers. Um, once the floodgates were opened again and everybody was able to return and take their kids to daycare, if they were no longer being forced to stay at home, they were allowed to get back to work, which meant they were allowed to go back to daycare. And, um, you know, since then, there's been this argument of where are we going for the kids who are in the K through 12 age group? 
And the biggest thing uh, for families right now is obviously is safety, but also um, the need to be at work. As you, as you guys are talking about the need to be able to continue to support your family and function your family for your family um, is essential for everybody. So right now, I think the biggest difference, and we've talked about this, is with public schools, they, their liability and their accountability is to such a massive group of people. And if you're in a public district, obviously, that's that's going to be the school you go to unless you elect for a private school. Whereas with the daycares, you can pick and choose. You can decide, do I think these people are doing enough? Do I want to send my kids here? Or are you, on the other end, maybe you think, okay, they're going a little over the top. I don't, I don't want my kid to be in this environment with all these odd uh, things going on. But that's also changed too, though, from the public education standpoint too, because school of choice has really just grown over the years. So if you, even, even if you live in a community, you don't necessarily have to send your kids to that public school. You can send your kids to other districts um, if you choose to. And gosh, I've seen a lot of that. You know, there's a lot of people who, you know, they live in Romeo and they decide, well, I'm going to send my kids to Elmont. Sure. You know, I I walk, I live in the village and I walk. And uh, over the last few years, um, congratulation yard signs for graduates have become a thing. And it's cool. Like, I like, I like that. And I like the, um, I like the ones for the kindergartners too, that say like class of 20, horrifyingly 30, he didn't have to say it out loud. Um, but I, but I did, I've noticed Zach, you, you say this, that I, I see signs. I'm like, I don't recognize that logo. Right. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm used to the one I went to high school here too. Right. Sure. Um, and I look more closely. Sometimes it's a private school you'll see a Lance Cruz North, but sometimes like you said, it's Elmont or Oxford, Oxford, a neighboring district. And, and that certainly does change things. So I would think that and I, I don't, I'm not trying to um, insult anybody, but if, if you're on a tight schedule and you're worried about getting your kids to school so you can go to work, you're probably not, because you can't get a bus. No, you got to get them to there Elmont. yourself. You can't get a bus to Oxford. And so I, I, you know, I, I wonder in that Venn diagram, if those two people are on opposite sides of the circle. And, you know, here in Romeo, surveys have shown upwards of 85%. The school district released a survey. This was about a month ago. And it said between 80 and 85% of parents wanted their kids back in the classroom. Teachers seem to be not that resolute on the other end of it. But, you know, we've talked about some surveys where they say, you know, 90% of teachers don't want back in the classroom. And then we hear teachers say, that's not what I said. And you hear enough of them say that to where you think, well, okay, it's probably not 90%. And then, Joe, you mentioned before that there are probably teachers that if, if you ask, do you want to go back in the classroom? By one person, they say yes. And the next person asks and they say no. And it's the same person giving two different answers. Right, because they do want to be in the classroom, but they also want that situation to be safe for the kids and for themselves and for everybody's family. And we keep going over that and over that and over that. But let's let's think about what are the reasons that, that parents, if we were saying 85% of parents in the districts want to get their kids to school, back to school, uh, back to normal. What are the reasons for that? I think at the top of the list is just the practical reasons, like we opened up talking about. They have to go to work, and they're, they're not, they don't have the ability to work remotely. Um, and that's something I'd like to explore at, 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 to some degree is uh, why aren't we putting more, we're putting pressure on teachers, we're putting pressure on school boards, we're putting pressure on parents. Why aren't we putting more pressure on these employers to get as many people working remotely as possible? If there's one thing this pandemic has taught us about the way we used to do business is that it's not the only way. There are a lot more people who can work partially remotely or completely remotely. And I think, I think sometimes employers are having a hard time uh, adjusting because they feel like their hands been forced a little bit and they want to keep things running the, the way they did before. But I think we could, we could see a little more of that. 
Well, it could, and it can also depend on the position too, because I, I feel like a lot of businesses, you know, what if you're an auto worker during, during this time, you know, right. So, you know, and we, when we talk about these, these second jobs too, that, you know, the, from a dual income household, sometimes a lot of those jobs, they it might be retail related. It might be something where you have to physically be there to check the customer out. It might be something where you're at, um, uh, you know, working at Kroger, you know, checking people out. I mean, there are just some jobs where remote just wouldn't be an option. Um, I think you're both, before we go any further, I think you're both right here that, that corporate type jobs could do better, but there are certain jobs that could not. Sure. And, and I don't think, uh, there's not going to be a, a catch all solution, but, but I guess what I got I'm one for at, you. <laughs> I, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, uh, when, when social distancing is so important and when flexibility, as far as being able to these teachers and these staffs having flexibility, if somebody does get sick, that they're able to stay home, um, the more people who have that option of being able to stay home and do an effective version of remote learning, the easier it makes for everybody else who doesn't have that option. All right. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, you know, from this, this tends to be the, the, the thing that we're all going back to, like, shouldn't our government be stepping in to help in these situations beyond just a stimulus package? I mean, we talk about we a country get that we, 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 as a country, we deserve free health care. We deserve free child care. I mean, there are things that we could do as a nation. Power, the people in power do not agree with that. To, well, that's fine. They don't have to. Well, I guess they do. They eventually. do to, Somebody yes. has to convince Thank them. You. But at the same time, these are the things that make our country strong. If we have a strong working class and if we have You want to bring back the middle class? To, that's it. Exactly, because policies. we we see Horrifying. now when it goes away, it becomes a major issue and a disruption for people who need that second income. These are not situations where it's a person who, uh, you know, oh, money's no object. You know, we we can afford to not work for the the first semester and see how things. Or go. we're already not working. Or we're already. Or we already have. Why already have? It's a one income household, and that's fine. Or, or I can afford to bring somebody into the home, Ooh. pay them twenty dollars an hour, now we've and be Annie. a tutor for all of my my kids, and they're going to get the best uh, attention they can during I've, this time, and they're going to thrive. I've seen Facebook posts from friends of mine that have grouped with other people, two or three families and are doing that. It's you know, a big thing right now well, for well, people who can afford it. We're offering you, Oh, I mean, but if you can, if you can split it three ways, I mean, would you pay somebody eight bucks an hour to teach your kid? But if it's 20, that makes 25 bucks an hour. Yeah. But it's a lot of kids. I mean, you, you three, well, 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 no, I'm talking Let's from say, a, you're talking about grouping people together, but, I'm talking like, about like but families, but families, you're are assuming like, that they only have one kid though. Odds right. are, you're going to have to do that have three two, times over. If you have two to three, so you have six, but six, let's say it's six kids. You have three families and instead of paying 25 bucks an hour, each of you pays 10 or 15 right now. I mean, you've up, what I'm saying is you're right. This is going to keep. And I wonder if, um, that model, I, I don't discourage parents from doing it. If you can do it, do whatever you want. My concern is that that might stick because you know what? Yeah. Private enterprise can outpace and outpay government entities every single day because of flexibility and just ability. Well, I was looking at some of the numbers, Zach, because, you know, no, don't do Ut- that. Utica Community Schools, they rolled out uh, a program. Second biggest school district in the state. Where they, you know, because they are, they're, they're not allowing people to go back in person for learning, but they did offer an option to where you can send kids, which essentially turns to a a remote daycare where you can take, they can go use the facility and they can pay like a daycare 
And at three days a week, how much? $150 per kid for three days a week. That's the four, minimum you're allowed to attend, right? Yeah, that's a minimum. You have to go at least three days. Four days jumps up to 180, and then five days goes to 225. I mean, but that's doing, not, doing that's the, not, it's not terrible, but let's do the math on this for a second. If you've got three days and you're paying for three kids to go three days a week, that's going to cost you 450 bucks a week. Assuming that you could work an eight hour day, all those days to, you know, you're essentially sending How much would you have to make an hour? 1875 an hour. And that's before taxes. So even after taxes, you're still losing money. If you're sending them for five days a week, three kids, you better be making 28 bucks an hour. See, and that's, that's fun- a hard trade-off. Well, and it's funny because like I am ignorant. I was, I think of things in singular terms. Why? I only have one kid. I, I don't think about like, and you pointed out that was an error in my thought process. Cause I'm thinking to myself, Hey, that's not too bad. Cause when I think about daycare, look, we pay for daycare four days a week. It is expensive, but unlike other families, I only have to pay it for one kid. Right. I don't have to buy multiples of anything because we only have one kid. And so I need to be quiet on some of these because for us, I'm not, we're not the only family that has one kid, but for we're sure. the ones that suffer less of a burden just because you, you can't be like, all right, uh, we'll send Billy this week, Johnny and Stevie, <laughs> you will stay home right. and then we'll rotate. So, um, but people may have to make it cause they're at that same time though, Zach age makes a difference too. You might have a, in, you might have a, a junior who you're comfortable allowing oh, them to stay at home on. and you know, but you're not letting that junior watch the nine-year-old. Some, some families may mm. have to because they that's can't, true. that's their only option. But they're, we're, and they're going to supervise learning for both. I mean, that's families are going to be making yeah. very hard decisions. Amen. And I mean, I know for us personally as, as you know, I'm, I'm grateful that we have the option for daycare and we always have at this point, but you know, we're spending for two kids, upwards of $24,000 a year just to send those kids to daycare and to allow us to work. Not everybody has that ability. And, and that's what, and, and now Ugh. we're finding people who are having to make some tough choices because we were always looking ahead. Like, what does it look like when they can finally be in like first grade uh, and dude, we can, we can save on, yeah, right. <laughs> it feels like a win at that point. <laughs> we, we'd be so much better off, but I mean, these decisions are not going to be easy to make. And you know, as well as I do, especially in this area, you have people who are very well off and you have people who struggle day in and day out. The middle is not as the, the Romeo used to be about the middle, right? But just like the rest of the country, the middle is gone. And that's, that's exactly what, what I'm most concerned about is we start talking about all this and we start talking about, well, you know, some people could do this. They could bring in a tutor and they could, or some people could group their kids together yeah. and they could learn, um, all these some peoples are taken away from the collective and the public school uh, is already stretched thin. And every time we lose another student to another district or we lose a student to homeschooling or we lose a student to private school, that's less funding for the school. Yes. And as that continues to happen, you're going to see that gap grow more and more because for most people, the only option that's viable is the public schools. And these other options are not financially viable. Zach's talking about $18, $19 an hour just to break even um, when we know 42% of the jobs in the country right now, full-time available jobs, pay $15 an hour or less. Right. You're, so, you lose money on the deal. So yeah, the majority of families aren't going to be able to do that. So which families are going to do well? The ones who have the financial benefits too, they're going to continue to get farther ahead and the people who don't are going to continue to be farther left behind. The golf deepens, the gap widens. Right. Exactly, because I mean, the, the, we know... Uh, and I mean, Zach and I are parents, Joe, I'm sure you can, uh, can understand though, just from what, you know, parents do, you know, you sacrifice everything to make sure your kids 
have what you didn't, you know, you, that's, right. that's your goal. And but these we're not parents the generation are, that can deliver that anymore. Right? Like, exactly. And, and that's the thing. So now these sacrifices are going to have long-term effects on, on families that, you know, couldn't save for a year because right. all the money they would have, uh, saved went to childcare, right. you know, but how do we, how do we feel about the fact that, you know, cause this is a major point of contention for a lot of people that, you know, these schools, they won't open for in-person learning, but they will open their doors. And now we're paying twice for it. We're paying for, for the facility as a childcare center and we're paying people to watch the kids and help them. But the, 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 the tax portion of it that we're already paying into is not covering any of that. So why do, we have to pay, that, why do we have to pay for that? Why, why can't, why do, right. Why, why can't that be part of your services that you receive is from your tax bill? Why can't that be part of their budget? It, that well, that's tripping me up well, a little bit. Well, I, I think part of it is this has to do with Lansing and there was a bill that the governor signed a couple of weeks ago that gives funding to the schools. But you know, the fiscal year, the new fiscal year is here and the budget is not. And so these school districts, they have some financial stability because of that bill, the the bipartisan bill that made its way through the House, the Senate, to the governor's desk. But they also, they don't know long-term if they can afford to do any of these things. And I think that's why you're seeing these, I'm not saying it's right, I just think it's why, that's why you're seeing schools like that, charged like that, because they don't know what's going to happen. Well, But you know what, though? Another government failure. The argument that we've been hearing, though, has not been well, we can't afford to open schools. It's that we don't feel safe to open schools. So safety has been tr- the narrative. But I think they're both true. They may be both true, but the, the teachers aren't going into it saying, well, the budget doesn't allow us to open oh, this year based on the- That's been said it, plenty. It's, it's the safety concerns though. That's why teachers have said they don't want to go back to the buildings. And that's why the school district is saying we can't open in person because it's not right. safe. Right. But 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 it, you're right in that they're saying we can't open because of the coronavirus. But they're also saying, and they plenty of them have said it, we can't survive unless you budget for us. There's a I think those two things are are, are different. They're 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 caused by the same thing. All these budget shortfalls are caused by the coronavirus. The fears of going back into the classroom are caused by the coronavirus. But those two things remain separate to me. Kind of resetting Zach's question. Um, so what, what essentially what this this uh, Utica model is going to look like is you're going to show up at school just like you normally would. Now they're not going to be busing or anything like that. No, you've got to, you're going to get, you're going to have up, to transport your kids. Um, and then they're probably, they're going to go into a classroom, but they're going to stay in the same classroom and they're going to learn remotely. Correct. Is they're going to be taking part in the same remote yes. learning they would at home. So I guess, and we'd be naive to think that this hasn't been brought up because if there's one thing we've, we know from listening to these board meetings and, and talking uh, to teachers is there has been a discussion about everything, everything. but how come there hasn't been more about like Zach is, is touching on, expanding this model, expanding it to where your options, if you're going to be remote, are you can still go to the school. Maybe we could even still have busing like we did before to, to get the kids to the school. Well, then at that point, why but, don't we just... Well, because there's so many more risks and so many more factors with trying to go to, especially for a middle school and high school, where they're shuffling between classes. To me, the bus is... they're having lunches you know, in a separate area. Don't you think the bus is that, though? Elective classes. Um, the bus probably is that to, to an extent, but for people who don't have another yeah. option, if we're, we're going to do masks, if we're going to do the, the sanitizer, if it was safe enough where they believed they could open in a hybrid model with it, I think if we can get less people on the buses, which is yes. you know, something that they're trying to do, 
Um, I wonder if how could less people when they show up, is it safer? Could, could like, for instance, in an area like Romeo, we've got that great service of star transportation. Could you utilize some of those smaller, uh, uh, you know, the, the buses are much smaller. It's well, more the size has, of a short and bus. Got, and they've got those small buses too in the district. They right? do, but they don't, I don't think enough to where you could Probably really not. make it work. But like, could you utilize some of that where it's, it's, it's still tax funded and you know, you don't see why not, you're, you know, so just getting creative with it. I think mm, this, this is going to be a really big opportunity for entrepreneurship. I mean, there's something floating around out here that, you know, we talked about it before, even for, you know, a lot of these teachers, you know, we always talk about how, how underpaid teachers are. And it's a fact. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Teachers are underpaid, but you know, when you take this to a private model and you see what people are willing to pay for things like this, once you start putting the buck in front of it, it's like, wait a second. The secretary of education agrees with you. You're describing school. You're describing vouchers like this. They, they, the Betsy DeVos agrees with you. I don't know if I like that, but, uh, well, <laughs> but at the same time does. though, at the same time though, we have, have like it. we have high quality teachers in this district who could be making a lot more money, which I know that's not the ultimate motivator, but it is if you're Betsy DeVos, I'm telling you, you're describing, but as a teacher though, you, you, you're fighting for, for a higher wage, right? You, you should know, be without, um, without, you know, let's, uh, we don't want to make Betsy DeVos the bad guy. I know to a lot of teachers, she kind of has taken on that role, but nobody's making there, her the bad there guy. Is an idea that, that's okay. That's fair enough. There is some validity to the voucher there are bears idea. There are things about that, that model that, that would create the potential for a better academic situation. The downside of is that it kneecaps model, the public schools. Is, you're darn right. And are we better off as a society if we leave more and more people behind. And I think that's at this table, I think we kind of all agree. No, we're not. And I think most schools would tell you, most people involved with schools would tell you, no, they're not. And no, we're not. So I guess if I'm Zach's talking about, we need entrepreneurship. I think it needs to come from the school districts. I think the school districts, not Can necessarily they entrepreneurship, you know what I mean? Like, they need to get creative. They need to come up with a solution. Cause Zach's right. And you are too. Right. And so the, the, the innovation can't, doesn't need to come from the private citizen. It can, and it always, it normally does because the government model just in general does not foster creativity, right? right? Everything is red tape. Everything is a process. Everything requires approval. That is not how, like whether you like Elon Musk or not, the way he's able to create is not by like massive regulation and process. It doesn't work. It but, doesn't but, work. But again, I, I, I wonder if, is there a way, and I'm not talking about SpaceX, but is there a way that we can encourage and foster innovation from within the district like you guys are talking about here? Like you guys are onto something and I, I would prefer, like Joe said, if it did come from within, but like you've said, my thought that that'll happen is well, here's, Minimal. here's, here's the problem though, or expectation you have, th this is what you're seeing now is the result of the innovation that they're attempting to, th this is innovation for them. Mm -hmm. This opening the Utica community schools yeah, up for right, daycare. Fair, fair. That's that what we're seeing now, the, the move to remote and some schools going online and some schools being in person. That's the result of the innovation from the public school system for better or worse. But the problem is all of these districts are acting differently. You don't, we don't know what the proven model is. And what have we always heard? There is no proven model. No child left behind. What's happening right now That's a is law. creating a bigger, bigger 
uh, group of kids who are going to be left behind and kids who normally had access to good educational systems and good educational tools will not be receiving that this year because there's a lot of kids who don't have the parent at home who's going to make sure they log on and do their homework and get it out there. We, you're going to have some households where you're going to be lucky if that kid's logging on once a week to do his job. How many kids are going to be in this situation? How many kids Too live many. In, in single parent households that don't have, mom has to work. Otherwise nothing, no food's put on the table. We're creating this, the system as we see it now is not working and it's got to change somewhere. And I think, you know, that innovation that we talk about is going to have to come. I don't just say it in the form of how school operates, but like people who find a way to get kids back in school safely so that they can learn the same way, whether that's pods or some sort of, um, you know, some sort of safety initiative that puts the kids back in school. You mentioned safety. Like, is this for some parents, is this about safety or is this about the government not telling them what they can and can't do? Like, here's the thing. Like I, I, well, I have to wonder, you're talking about doing things safely. I think some parents just want to do it. Oh, I don't doubt that. I think you're right about that, that some parents just want to do it. But, you know, I'm not saying people don't care about their children. That's not my, but you're assuming that everybody's going to do this with safety on mind. And I am not going to make that assumption. Let me ask you this by, you know, you and I both send our kids to daycare. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that what you're doing is safe for your child? I'm going to assume the answer is yes, because I I don't think you'd send them. I wouldn't do. And so I knew, I knew this question was coming. And I think about this a lot because the last thing I want to do is be a hypocrite. I don't want to be the person that says, hey, you don't do that. And while you look away, I'm over here doing that. Right. Because that's not right. That's not right. You look at daycare settings specifically. Right. There's a couple of things to me that set them apart. How big is your kid's daycare? Do you know how many kids? Honestly, I, I would have been able to tell you that before this, well, but I don't know how well, many was it come before? back. You probably had... You, you probably a hundred kids or less. So that's about 1500 less than what walked through the halls of the high school on an average day. Correct. And that doesn't account for the middle school, the elementary schools. So again, to me, if we're talking about community spread, what RCS, what's the second letter there? Is it community? It is. So again, the community goes to that school. Everybody goes. My thing is, we're going to send our kid to, if, if our son would have been in his second year of preschool, right? We would have sent him to preschool and daycare. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is sending him to daycare and doing the private preschool there that eliminates the and. So he's not, so again, community transmission. So again, we've removed him from, from two settings and placed it to one that way. And now here's the thing. I know some of the kids at his daycare, are going to come from where he would have been to preschool. But, but again, I'm, I'm not contributing to that. I cannot stop it and I will not judge, but again, I am not contributing to community spread. So again, I I anticipated this question and I've thought about this because if I'm going to put my money where my mouth is almost literally, because you're just eating money as you send your kids to Mm -hmm. daycare. um, you know, I would, and I have the job I have the, in my household, I have the second job more or less. It's a career, but my wife makes so much more money than I do. It's not close and it may never be. Who knows? She's your sugar mama. No doubt. God bless her. She's the best. And so, um, you know, so then if, if I'm preaching 
and practicing, I would give up that job. But again, sure. but again, I but not necessarily though because you're well. You're, then I have, you're, if you're I'm not doing, to, but I'm not sending to daycare. I got to stay home. Well, no, I get that, but I'm saying like you don't. You're not necessarily you being a, a hypocrite. No, I'm by, not. By, damn right, I'm not. By sending your kid to daycare, I mean, no, there's no. you're doing things that ensure. The the but uh, I would be but I feel like I would be if I sent him to preschool too because I don't think I, I I think for the most part I do think remote learning is the way to be but I but throughout well, let me this, go, I'm sorry I don't no no, no th- throughout this conversation I just I know that it, my situation is far easier than many others and so I every time I say the things that I say I say that we are so lucky to where we are able to make we're able to make it my family makes a choice we we're yeah. not forced into anything. But let me ask you this. You talk about, you know, you're, you're giving the numbers for 1,500, 1,600 kids at the high school. How many kids would have been at the preschool? How different would it have been from the model that, because they don't go to the same building as the, uh, as the high school would. So no. obviously there's less kids. So like, how does that compare to, I understand it's that they're already there in the daycare center. Well, so they don't, tr- they don't, you're not it. going to a, a second that's building. It. So that's, that's the only- it. I mean, mostly. And then the other, to be honest with you, um, the other thing is, and this, this maybe not be fair either, but like, you know, like I, I see that the protocols in place for preschool, it sounds terrible. Like that's not preschool is about like freedom and expression and all the things you can't do right now. I, that's life in general, right? Right. That that's that's I mean that that's everybody. But you got you got you got to flash that to a four year old. But I'd I, rather not. Okay. So and that's that's fair. But even from a, a standpoint I can of handle like it. you know when we're comparing the numbers and we actually look at it and we say okay, how much bigger is the high school than the daycare center? How 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 easy can you social distance and you know you can do things with kids that are. 14, 15 years yeah, old, absolutely. instruct them to wear the mask and have these, that, that, try. That, that would be much more difficult to do with an elementary school Heck child. Yeah. And you know, there's, and, and you can You're keep right. them in the same room. I mean, there's, there's a way, there's ways to do it. That's why, that's why it feels weird that like some of these things are yes, full speed ahead. Like let's daycare is fine. School, not so much like Hashtag it's just- arbitrary at times, right? Like, like, I mean, and that, that branches out like, so high school football bad, but at one point strip clubs. Okay. Uh, gym's bad, but right now m- minimum capacity casinos are okay. Right? Like this double speak, I think is what bothers a lot of people. You, I mean, what benefit, what community benefit does a casino provide? other than the degradation of the people around it more often than not. Right. I mean, it, the casinos are great. I love to gamble. Um, but it's, they, they don't, I've not gambled since the coronavirus began and do I you, think I'm okay. But do you have a gambling problem? No, that's there's, my point. There's, there's mo- my point. moderation is the, is the, that's my point is, is the key Why to society open? in general. Hell like yeah. we have these Boring, vices no. that are, that are out there, whether they be alcohol or, uh, nicotine or, uh, gambling. These are all things that people partake in Caffeine. and, you know, anything, sugar, I mean, anything, mm, there, the there are these, there are these things that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're assuming that people have the ability to control That's this what I'm and they don't. Then the people who are in these times at the casino, I don't think they've got that money to just be throwing well, around. They're the people know, who are so addicted and they're vulnerable. Zach Clark said, or you said earlier, um, 
that you don't think that, that, you know, they don't obviously parents care about their kids, but a lot of people are like, Hey, let's just do it. And I think I didn't say a lot of people. I just, I wonder if people who are Zach's point was that everybody was doing this with safety on mind. And I don't agree with that. And I think part of the reason for that is let's face it. None of us know, know anything about what's really going on with the coronavirus. Epidemiologists at the table. No, no, none of us. So we're, we're trusting people smarter than us. Well, at the same time we're doing that, people are who don't know that much, like us, are looking around and seeing, well, yeah, these casinos are open, so that you know that seems like it's safe. Uh, you're allowed to go play the lottery. You know, people, some people are like, oh, these people are having protests. You watch the uh, Republican National Convention. Look at all those people standing or sitting next to each other with no masks on. So uh, people are seeing our leaders and the people in charge uh, of uh, making the decisions about these places say, ah, oh, it's fine for this and it's fine for that. So they say, well then it has to be fine for this too. It has to be safe. And, and so that, that mixed message that's being sent is making it harder and harder to get everybody on board. And when we talk about what's, what, why are daycare centers open, uh, the simplest reason is, well, because now we can pass, we can pass the, the liability on. We can pass the risk on to a private enterprise and say to the parents, well, you made the choice to pick that daycare center and have your kids go there. Uh, we gave them the choice and gave you the choice as adults. And that's what people are going to say that they want. But the problem with that is, is, you know, again, we're going back to, well, then we're stacking the deck in favor of the people who the deck's already stacked in favor of. So that's why it's imperative that we have to find some sort of group solution because these problems aren't going away um, and these solutions are not one size fits all. And, and I think really in in hindsight with all this, when we look back in the history books, you know, the COVID, COVID will definitely be a major chapter in our, it's not, in our, it's but, not 11, but the economic impact is going to be what's lasting. And that's going to be the real story of this, because this is what is going to be ongoing after the vaccine, after everything else, the way we live mm-hmm. and the way our economy was impacted and the way people save and earn everything that's going to be what creates a systematic shift in this country for decades to come. Well, the le- I mean, think about the last financial crisis and that took like a decade to shake. And for some people it's still, they're still recovering from that. Some people were ready to retire and they're still at work a lot longer than they planned to be because of that. This, what we're in right now, what we're entering in right now is a far, far worse economic situation um, than what we had in 2008. Uh, the, 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 the GDP, we lost 32 and a half percent in the last quarter. It's by far the worst that we've ever seen. That's going to take, years in itself just for the economy to recover from that. So those effects, like Zach's saying, are going to be felt long, long after this. So I think it makes it even more imperative that we come up with some sort of solution for these kids right now. And, and Joe, not only that, though, with with you, you talk about the, the people who were in the financial downfall and, and, you know, barely recovered. You've also got a generation that's getting a lot older now in the millennials that never even got a taste of that. They didn't get to reap the benefits of a strong economy in right. the, the, the 80s and the, the 90s to where they could save and put money away and actually have a, a, a healthy 401k. started, whack. Exactly. So a lot of that has not even come to fruition for this generation that is starting to have kids who are at the age that we're talking I mean, about. Are we the screwed generation? I mean, and I say this for a variety of reasons. One is because for whatever reason, society's decided the millennials are the problem, which I think is hilarious, right? Well, like society does that with every generation. Boomers, boomers say, well, you know, we could, we could buy a house and we didn't have them like, yeah, dude, if my house cost eight bucks a month, I could probably afford that too. And it's like, you know, the, my, my it, it drives, that kind of stuff drives me crazy. And it's like, well, what do you want us to do? 
What do you want? You want me to save? I, I, I walked out of university with $40,000 in debt. You cannot save when you are $40,000 in debt. You get out of debt and you're like, sick, now what? And why do you go into that debt? Because we talked about so it earlier. Somebody told me to. Well, not only that, but do you want to settle for one of those 42% of the jobs that's going to pay you twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a year? For four I have one not, of those jobs. Not, not only that, though. You know, we're, <laughs> and the debt. We were, we were, and the debt. I, I was talking about this with my brother, and we were comparing like ourselves Jesus. at this age with, with my parents at our age. No, don't do one, that. One, one income household, mm-hmm. but about making the same wage. However... We can be in similar homes. It cost my parents with the lot about ninety thousand dollars to build brand new and Bruce. It was a nice house. It's a nice it's house a nice too. Ho- and and it's but still in, a nice house. In today's in today's numbers, oh. that that house would cost three times as much, but your wages stay the same. That's why that generation was able to create. It would cost three times as much to buy. To, to buy, build, yes. To build, to build it would cost. It would cost a million dollars. Nine times as yeah, much, at least. And, and that's the situation that we're 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 stuck in. And I say we as you know, Joe. I think you're probably you're. Are you Gen? No, I'm not a millennial. I, I used you? to say I, no. I am. I used to say I, I was the world's oldest millennial. But now <laughs> I found out that it, technically, if you want to trust the people who invented the term millennial. Uh, it's, it starts in 1982. So oh, okay. I got. Right. I, I snuck in under the radar there. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's just. <laughs> this is. We're, hey, we're resilient at least. You know what, what I mean. What choices we had, right? I mean, you know, people like us, and and it's not. You know, I don't compare ourselves to the greatest generation, right? Like my think about my grandparents and the things that they went through. Whether it was, you know, I mean, my grandparents were born in the early 20s, right off the heels of. We've talked so much about the 1918, the flu, we've, and and then from there you go to. Great Depression, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, oil shortage. I mean, and at the same time, if you're them, you go from um, not having a car at all to getting on a commercial plane at some point That's and right. having the internet. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they lived in the dark ages from only. Gathering around a radio to literally looking at something the size of you know, you're something as small as your phone, and yes. you're looking at your family members, Correct. hundreds if not thousands of miles away. Correct. So that's a big change. Absolutely, and mostly for the better. Um, and that's that's sort of a false security. I, th- I feel like people get lumped into is because oh, as long as I've been alive and everybody I know has been alive, things have been getting better. That's not if you go through the, the history. That's, not, that's not how it typically goes. There's not ever. There's some ups and downs and some backs and forth. Um, and you know, let's let's not get too whiny here because we got it. We all got it really good. What? But what we're looking at is we're seeing trends and we're seeing where things are going. And that's where the concern is. You mentioned, oh, everybody blames millennials. Every time I hear somebody say, oh, what's wrong with kids these days? I always you. want to say. What's wrong with the people that raised yeah. them? Yeah, well, the, you, the the participation trophy misnomer uh, it drives me nuts. Kids never we didn't, we didn't get we didn't ask for those. Trophy. We knew they were a joke. <laughs> you, we, we laughed you, at them and we threw and them we away. Threw them away. Yeah, you the weak you the yeah. weak parent that had to have the satisfaction that their kid was good at something that you couldn't believe that what they'd done in front of you was enough. You had to have a symbol. That's you. We'll, we'll, That's you. We'll it's sa- not us. And we'll save this for uh, for for a Mac Attack podcast. But the just the the rise in. Uh, the travel teams where oh. everybody had to every fed baseball team, every kid had to be on a travel team instead of it just being the best of the best the episode of South because, Park deals with that too, because the, the kid got Johnny got cut. So Johnny's dad has to start his own team for Johnny and his Johnny friends. got cut. Now Johnny's dad's the coach, right? I mean, that's so, I mean, let's, let's put a bow on this, you know, like good I, idea. I don't know what the, I don't know what the takeaway is here other than well, I do know what the takeaway is. 
and I'm sorry to tell you, there is no takeaway here. That we're left in a spot where there is no answer. We, you know, we always try to answer questions, but I think here's what I'll put forth, that it's about innovation right now. Things are not going to be the way that they were ever again. We'll get pretty close to it at some point, I hope. Um, but until we get there, how do we ensure that we can live the best quality life possible? And, and that's true for, for you, the adult, and certainly it's what you want for, for your children as a parent. And so I think that's the question is, what can we do to make our situation more tenable? And it's, it's not about um, making ourselves happy or making it the best. That's not possible right now. That, that, that ultimate bar cannot be reached in this moment. But how can we make sure that we prop ourselves up so that when we're ready for that bar again, we're right there? That to me, that's what this is about. Yeah, and it, it, I'm, I'm with you. And I think to prop ourselves up, we have to, we have to prop each other up. We have to look around and say, what can we do for somebody else? If you're running a business, how can you make life easier on your employers? If you're, if you're a teacher. Um, or an educator, how can you work with your fellow educators to get kids back in the classroom or to accommodate the families who don't have the means to do their own kind of thing? Uh, everybody's got to think about a way to help somebody else. And then that'll make this whole thing a lot easier to get through. And it, it'll also, you know, when we talk about normalcy, that's, I think, the most normal thing of all that we miss right now is just being able to, to help each other, to be able to depend on each other and to depend on the things that have come to, to build our community and to make it the community that we love to live in. Zach, Zach said it early on in this, RCS, what does that C stand for? Yep. It's community. Your, your neighbors, if your neighbor is struggling, if That's you know your neighbor right about, is working hard to get by and they've got two kids at home and they don't know what they're going to do, step up to the plate. If you can help- help. That's what we're here for. And I know from home. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I know that this community has the people who will jump on that in a heartbeat. Like there's, don't be afraid to ask for help either. If you need it, whether it's a Facebook post, whether it's something, there's people willing to help out there. And I think sometimes our pride gets in the way because we don't want to admit that we're struggling. There's nothing wrong with just saying it out loud because everybody else is going through it too. You can find more of A Common Divide at 32andmain.com. Like us on Facebook. Give us a follow on Twitter and find this podcast wherever you get yours. (laughs) 